You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 446 for the 22nd of March, 2013. Hello, everyone. Hello to you, new listener, old listener. Hi, it's Citizen Reporter, and I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Some people on the internet still call me Bicycle Mark, a title that I wear proudly. And of course, this podcast is underreported news, things you don't hear on the front pages, voices you don't hear on the TV news or on the radio news or in the mainstream. I bring them. And last week, or just over a week ago, I found myself in Gothenburg, Sweden for the first time ever. Fantastic city. I was just visiting, listening to a friend speak at the MEG conference, which is a publishing multimedia-type conference. And there, I happened to meet American comedian and co-creator of The Daily Show, among other achievements, Liz Winstead. And I spent several days being a tourist and a general lazy person, having great conversations with Liz, And here she is today on the podcast. And we started right away a conversation about media. We were, you know, we talk a little bit about American politics or the way people vote or think even before they even vote. And we arrived at that point that I think is very familiar. Even if you don't live in the United States, you know that. You have these, we can call them extremes in the United States, people who you've taken, for example, climate change as an issue. There are people in the United States that don't believe there's climate change. And then there are people who do. And what you've been pointing out uh, frequently, and rightfully so, is that uh, when it comes to people believing that there isn't even climate change, in many ways, now you tell me if I get this right, you don't even want to talk to them. Or you don't know how or... I, I, what it is, what, when, it, when it comes to finding common ground and, and trying to, you know, get to a place that uh, uh, people who have different viewpoints on a subject can have a conversation and compromise, um, both people have to believe a certain fundamental um, belief system. You know, is the education system broken? Okay, we believe the education system is broken, so now let's try to hammer out a way that we can both agree that we can start to fix it. And then as we come with solutions that we both like, we'll see how those play out, come up with more solutions, monitor it, but we agree that it's broken. Climate science, for example, um, is one of those things where in America we're not debating or how we should reduce global warming Mm -hmm. um we're debating whether or not global warming exists and i say if somebody fundamentally refuses to look at the facts and fundamentally disregards proven science um at some point there are people you just have to leave behind and say i can't i cannot engage you because you refuse to look at a reality that's true because it is inconvenient to the set of facts that you've made up in your head. And, and you, you know, it's, 
it's like the right to life movement in the United States where um, they're trying to close down Planned Parenthood, which are affordable health care centers for women that are that provide abortion services. They provide uh, pap smears, birth control pills. And they're trying to close down these centers. And when they when they want to close them down, they will actually say, we want to reduce the number of abortions in America. And the way we want to do that is to reduce access to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody who wants to reduce abortion by reducing access to birth control, I can't have a conversation with you because you make no sense. But so then, <clears throat> it's very clear what you've just said, but then you've got a country like the United States where if you actually put that into practice, what you've just said, I can have a dialogue, you know, if, I mean, you're not a politician, but if you were, you would not speak with this, this group. How does a country go on from there? You, you marginalize them, you move on with the people that you can talk to, and in the meantime, hope for that this will work. Well, I think what happens is, you, it's twofold for me. One is, I don't believe I believe that willful ignorance is a small part of it. I believe that when when average Americans who may not be politically engaged, but are not um, extremists, but maybe they're just not particularly interested in politics or they go about their lives, um, when they hear these extremist viewpoints, they do take action. I think the problem is, you know, when you have this wide swath of people who are just kind of going about their lives and trying to make ends meet and trying to figure out how they're going to pay for college and, mm-hmm. you know, working on their stuff, um, they, they're, they're just as stunned as anybody when these extremists say anything. So those of us who are actually trying to work for the common good, mm-hmm. the best thing we can do is first expose these people for who they are. I don't have to engage them, but I do want to expose them in a way that seems rational and um and and so that when regular folks can vote them out of office because we they're going to exist in the world you know as citizenry you know god bless anybody who has the freedom to be a total fucking idiot that's a that's a great that's a great great thing to you know (laughs) aspire for um but having said that i want to make sure that every single person who is running for office and is trying to be part of a decision-making body is is going to at least work with truth and facts when it comes to science, when it comes to um, certain things that are sort of inarguable. Yeah. You know, if somebody just said the Bible says two plus two equals eight, you'd go, well, that's not true. Yeah, and, but, we, but we live in a time, I think, very maybe more so than than ever, um, where facts are no longer well. No, facts are you disputable. They become disputable. So, in other words, if I mean, we don't have that specific case, but if the Bible said two plus two is eight, uh, you actually have movements in not just the United States but in different countries who would say, yes, you know, see, we have these facts, competing facts, right. I, I, the weirdest thing about working in media these days is, in, and on the one hand, it seems like there may be competing facts. On the other hand, even when there are facts above all, that's not good enough to reach people anymore. I mean, that's why you have you know, for everything from documentary makers to storytellers or trying to figure out a way to, you know, how do you, how do you get through to someone? Maybe if you make a film and, and in there somewhere you have a message. Um, it, it seems like we live in a time where... It's not enough to, to, to give people facts. 
I think, yeah, right. I think everyone is desperately trying to figure out a way to lay out some truths so that people aren't, I guess, threatened. <laughs> uh, faith is a very strong thing, and I think that when you present science as facts, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the earth that they believe was created 6,000 years ago isn't because fire was created, you know, 9,000 years ago. And so it's hard to deal with. It's hard to deal yeah. with. The secondary thing that I've sort of been paying attention to and seen, which I think is maybe even more problematic, is as we've watched sort of a declining public education system and a declining media landscape and sort of a, a general um, dumbing down, we have more media outlets and less information, A. But B, I also see people are skeptical of educated people, you yeah. know, and when you hear it a negative, oh, he's a Harvard guy or he's a Yale guy. Um, I think the message is, which I don't even know that they understand, but as I observe it, I think it's you somehow in your mind are terrified at what you don't know. And you're, and you think that the educated guy might try to pull the wool over your eyes by doing something that might screw you. It's a threat. It's a threat. Yeah. And I don't know if they even recognize it as a threat as much as, because it's been presented to them as, that guy knows better than you about you. Which nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants to believe that a, a, a person knows more about you and your family than you do. Mm. Um, but I think that when people are somewhere in their brain looking for a set of beliefs, I remember... When George Bush was president, mm. and I was watching sort of um, John, K the thing that sticks out in my mind the most was when John Kerry, there was that, there was windsurfing footage of John Kerry windsurfing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really reacted to in a way that was incredibly negative by working class Americans. And it was presented as, look at this elitist, he's windsurfing, right? And on some level, yeah, windsurfing is kind of elitist. It's also really hard, and you have to be in really good shape. <laughs> and as you watch the fast-fooding of America happen, you're like, I'd never want to do that. <laughs> Cut to George Bush and his family dynasty with as much money, who has a ranch yeah. and a giant screen TV, and he brings all of his friends down to the ranch, and they watch football, and he gets to go out there and get dirty in the hay and drive around on a golf cart on his property. Americans can really relate to that guy. That doesn't seem elitist, even though he's rich and has a big ranch and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think the optics of, of, of all of it really play in. And it's just worrisome to me because yeah. it's all optics. And what is it that you want for your country? What is it that you want for your kids? Like, what is the American dream? I'm always so fascinated by um, where we've lost any kind of hope for future like is it is it just do we not have that anymore so people are living in the here and now because life requires people to because more people are living paycheck to paycheck and you look towards retirement as something that's terrifying rather than i'm going to have money saved up and have a pension and um so it's a it's a very interesting place to be um and as we talk about the future and our american politicians talk about the future um I have red flags like there when when I hear conservative politicians talking about how we have to restructure Medicare 
where it's going to be that benefits are going to be less. And then they try to assuage people by saying, but it won't be for the recipients of now. The people, it'll be for people who are 55 and younger who are going to have to make adjustments. And instead of somebody standing up and saying, um, wait a minute, people aren't employed now. So they're not paying into a system. So not only are you cutting their benefits, their benefits are technically already being cut now because they're not paying into the system. And so it's not like we have this wonderful... um, full employment uh, society where people are paying in and so that they can go, all right, I know that I have to put some money away now because I'm not going to be as lucky when I'm older to get the full benefits of, benefits of Medicare. People have no money to put away money now. <laughs> and or, or if they do, um, oftentimes they're dealing with elderly parents that they are taking what they would say for themselves now and putting towards their elderly parents in a system now, which I know was my case because... Medicare wasn't enough for them. So it's a, nobody, it's like, this is the problem with American politics. When you have so much money in politics and only rich people can really get elected or just constantly raising money, you're not for a moment really talking about the real problems and the real issues that regular folks have. If you were, you would never propose these crazy laws. A friend of mine works in public television in the Netherlands. And he did this show, which I wish was translated into English at this point, but not yet. And he decided to go on safari in his own country. And by safari, he meant this very old-time elitist, let's find different groups and talk to them and ask them questions. And he went to some different groups, biker gangs. Um, one of them was just farmers, the farmers, which have a, a sort of legend, the lore in, in the Netherlands as, you know, the, the salt of the earth and the, and, the, and the essence of the country. And one of the things he points, you see, actually, from the interviews that he does is that when they ask about the big city, when he asks about their impression of him as from the city, and that city over there, which is only, in the case of a small country, less than an hour away, they say, I don't trust them, Uh, different mentality, they don't understand us. And it's this, maybe this has always been there, so maybe I shouldn't worry. But this impression that we're different countries, we're different people, we have different needs. And, and then you look around at how voting goes in the United States, in many countries. You know, you've got the, the blue and the red, and you've got the coasts that go sort of blue, and the middle is all red. And I just find, like, again, maybe there's nothing to worry about because it's always been this way. But, I mean, what do you see? I mean, do you see this as uh, getting worse? You, you've been doing a lot of traveling in the United States, something I haven't done as much in my life. I, I, I see it as... Um... Getting worse in the sense that across the board, mistrust in government has been happening, especially in like rural communities, when you're subsidizing Monsanto and the government is, you know, subsidizing Monsanto and people don't even understand if we're just going to, let's just talk about farmers since we're on farmers, um, you know, a regular American farmer, um, who's trying to farm his land, you know, um, is having a really hard time making it. And, you know, we talk about farm subsidies and they subsidize corporate farming and, and, you know, and so that's confusing. I also think, too, again, um, the American Post, Postal Service um, is in a crazy financial bind right now where they require the American Postal Service. They require this of no other entity, by the way, ever, where they require them to fully fund the pensions 
well into the future of every single employee that works for the Postal Service. So the Postal Service is showing net loss and it's, it's, um, it can't sustain itself because of the amount of money that they have to pay forward to cover and keep in the bank the money of the pensions of all the employees now. And they somehow didn't see this coming when they established the, the rules. And the... This, just, this, this rule was just established like maybe like 2006. It is like not very long ago. Um, so the Postal Service is going to have to cut delivery, a lot of things. So again, that's how rural communities get their mail. They don't get FedEx. They don't have DSL. A lot of people just have the post office because it's too expensive for the private companies to drive a FedEx truck into a place that doesn't have a town and barely has like even an incorporated community. Yeah. Um, and so it's really going to screw the rural communities. And they're looking at this going, do you people realize that the post office is all we have? Um, and, and that's where we get our mail. That's how we get our you know, things shipped and to cut off services towards them and to have to cut smaller, some rural postal services entirely, it's a giant burden on small communities. So they look at government as just completely failing. Mm -hmm. And, and I look at government as being, again, completely detached from like specific needs of specific communities in America. And one of the biggest problems I think that the U.S. constantly suffers from is this everybody's got to pitch in, everybody's got to suffer a little bit, and it's like, okay, but when you ask some people to suffer a little bit, it's a lot, and when you ask rich people to suffer a little bit, they never feel it, mm -hmm. and we make these false analogies between asking the rich to, like, have to pay $50,000 more a year when they make a million dollars, and it doesn't, that money wouldn't doesn't affect them in any way and and you take that money from somebody who makes $25,000 a year with the same amount of incremental time that is money that directly would go back into the economy because they would spend it because it's not enough money to save it's the money that you would go back in for groceries and and food and 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 healthcare and stuff so it's i think that it's a disconnect between government as a whole because you know it's there are there are Philosophical differences between the political parties in the states, for sure. Um, but there's also a really big sameness when it comes to corporate money that goes into the system, lobbyists. You know, um, there's nobody saying we need to assess our foreign policy and how, how, how we go into wars. There's nobody saying um, we really, really need to look at our healthcare system because I don't think employer tied healthcare can sustain itself. You know, there's nobody talking about, no party that's really talking about the real issues of real people. And, you know, people who aren't gazillionaires aren't represented. You know, we had a Supreme Court decision that said corporations are people. And to anybody with a brain, it's like corporations are not people. Corporations can't vote. You know, I, I, it's, it's astounding to me that we would allow so much license and so much speech to a corporate entity that only has shareholders to answer to 
not have to answer to the greater public. It's it's really disappointing and I think it's scary for a lot of people, you know, when they see this coming down the pike, they wonder, you know, what's happening here? How can you have democracy when you're deciding that people who report to corporate boards are the same as you and I going in to vote? When it comes to creating media or, uh, I mean, in your case, a book, uh, but there's been also television in the past, do you approach it with, like, thinking... I want to speak to people. Of course, you know, you want to enjoy yourself. Okay? <laughs> I look at the internet, I create media, and I, I hope, I'm worried that I love finding an audience that understands me. It is a pleasure, just like in life. It's fun to find somebody who understands you. But I also hope to reach people who don't quite understand me, who are not sure, who maybe don't agree with me. Not that I'm in just the opinion business, but... Um, I worry about the, the, they used to call it like ghettos on the internet where people only follow. Does that come into your mind when you create content, when you write a book that you're speaking with some people who don't necessarily agree with you? You're tweeting towards people who may not agree with you. I mean, I guess what I try to do is tweet, write, create about things that I find compelling. I can only be truthful and funny and honest. And and if if my argument is compelling enough for somebody to go, okay, I get part of that, um, or I don't get any of that, or, oh my God, I, I, I see where you're coming from and I'm going to think about that and maybe turn them around, great. That's all I can be. And so I can't create things in, in the hopes that... Um, <laughs> that in the hopes that I can totally change people's minds, but in the hopes that a fence sitter who's kind of on it maybe would go I never thought of it that way okay yeah right you're right um I hope that and, and there's people some people's minds I'm never going to change and that kind of goes back to the whole um if if you're not willing to hear an idea um then you're just not willing to hear an idea you know I mean I've and, and I have invested I used to invest way more time on Twitter and Facebook and, and I like to engage on Twitter and on Facebook with people who um, disagree, um, it, it, even the crazies, even when they would go, um, you know, but what about the fact that is the President Obama wasn't born here? You know, and I would be like, here's the birth certificate, and then they would just go, that's fake. I was just like, I would actually argue with those people. And now I just am like, block, you're done. But there are people who occasionally want to talk and who want to... Um, engage. Um, and there's also people who agree with you on some things and don't agree with you on other things. And those are really fascinating and oftentimes more um, interesting and compelling reasons. You and I were talking today at lunch and we didn't go there. You, We were talking about you voted for Nader I did, yeah. um, in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where you lived when you voted for Nader. New Jersey. Oh, okay. So um, that's that. It's it's like when when a vote it, when it's convenient to vote for somebody you actually like um, for, versus strategic first strategic voting. You know, that's a conversation that I think is worth having. Um, as a woman, when I hear that people voted for Nader, what I say is, um, my civil rights were massively on the line in 2000, massively, with abortion rights. And I look at abortion rights as civil rights. And so when I look at all three candidates, and it's Al Gore, and it's George Bush, and it's Ralph Nader, um, 
and I look at how George Bush had played himself and how he would lay out a Supreme Court, when people say I voted for Ralph Nader, what they say to what I hear is you don't look at women's rights as human rights. Because if you did, you wouldn't vote for Ralph Nader. Because Al Gore would have never put anybody on the Supreme Court that would have devolved women's rights um, in a way that George Bush did. You know, and so I don't I don't go. I hate you for doing that. But it is a big bone of contention with me, Um, as is in the conversation now that we're having a lot in American politics, which is amongst the American left. There are fights constantly about Obama's foreign policy. And sometimes it's very hard to because he's very good on, on issues of women's civil rights. And he's simply horrible on the issue of drones and these secret documents we're finding out and, you know, these sort of debating the legalities of can you even drone American citizens? And it's like, oh, my God, you know, we need to have these conversations. And and people are saying, well, my brother, you know, fights in is in Afghanistan and is a soldier. And I'm very happy that drones can happen so that he doesn't have to go die. And I hear that and I think, Wow. I look at myself as a citizen of the world who happens to live in the United States, and there's people who look at themselves as people in the United States who are very happy that drones can go bomb people and not their brother or sister who's in the armed services. And I'm like, I don't think a drone should really be dropped on people, because it seems like they're dropping a lot on civilians, and and I'm no expert. But I hear that, and I just think it's an interesting debate to have. You look at issues of... um, that are more abstract, like drones, you know, like walls. People don't get it. You know, there's not a, a face attached to it. And I think those are things that we've got to figure out somehow, how all of these um, things that are not so social issue oriented but affect us greatly, hmm. how they can have an impact. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think that it's a, it's desperately needed. So much of life, uh, political candidates. We were talking about Chavez, who died recently. And whether you look at the internet or, or you read history books, we can make columns and we can put things that we would qualify as good for humans, good for Venezuelans and, and others, on, on one side, and we can write some stuff where he wasn't right. And what is very difficult is in media and in, in a lot of people's minds, it has to be one way. He has to either be good or bad, and he can't be both. And, and what's weird is, I felt this in my own life, I am, I am gray sometimes. We are flawed. We are people, you know. That's the whole thing is that for some weird reason, people forget that politicians are first and foremost humans with flaws. Like, you know, because someone, I mean, it's part of the problem with politics is that especially when you're running for president of the United States, basically what you've said is, do you know what's wrong with the world? I'm not in charge. <laughs> now, that person is a problem. That's a yeah. problematic... Yeah. That's already... Pro- if you're running, you're a problem. Yeah, you're yeah. running, you're a problem. Yeah. Because, oh my God, what kind of ego does it take to think that yeah. I can solve the world's problem? So, it's intense. Yeah. Um, you know, by the same token, you know, I, I wonder if part of what happens is that we haven't taken the time as citizens to really prioritize what we think is good and right and fair in a real um, 
in, in, a, in a profound way because, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to look at each person and say, do you do more good than awful? Yeah. How much awful is the insinuating damage? I mean, it's... It's very interesting as Rand Paul was <laughs> filibustering drones. I don't mean to come back to drones, but they're just so much in the news right now with yes. with Brennan and all this stuff. So he's filibustering drones. And this is a man who said that he would have voted against the 1964 Civil Rights Act. <laughs> and so people have said, I'm not, I don't stand with Rand Paul. I don't stand with Rand Paul on drones because Rand Paul's history of civil rights is abysmal and it's hypocritical for this guy to be screaming about American drone policy when he would have just, you know, allowed, you know, racism to apparently continue infinitum in our society because government intervention says it's fine for a restaurant to deny American citizens a place to eat. I mean, it's absurd. So... When you say I don't stand with Rand Paul, then it goes back to, then you're for drones. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm more sad that drone policy is being co-opted by right-wing assholes who never said a thing during Gitmo, during snatching people off the streets of Afghanistan and Iraq and throwing them into a, uh, you know, island in Cuba because there was, you know money to be reward money to be had by finger pointing at some poor guy all this stuff you know there's plenty of human rights abuses that were going on for years that i never heard a conservative have a peep about um but now that we have this other president it's like oh now all of a sudden you are concerned so a lot of it's about the messenger as well as the message i guess does that make sense yeah i think i thought that this whole thing about politicians being, you know, and deciding what's more important versus what's acceptable. And yeah, he, you know, he or she does this, but at the same time they do this. Uh, but with, I think what's, what's interesting is even politicians have to prioritize what they believe to be, you know, the big issues and how they will tackle them. And certainly they have to do a lot of things at once. But if we were to take a step back and prioritize what we believed we were going to fight for and what we're willing to compromise on. And then within the argument of yelling at about drone policy or choice or whatever, you would have to state what you're willing to compromise on. Where are you all willing to yeah. give? Yeah. You know, it because... I think that's really where we start once you get bogged down in the thick of it. You know, isn't that really the question? You you may have a top five that's maybe half of mine. You know, we'd probably have the same top ten, but yeah. how we prioritize our top five, you know, would be very different. And where where would you come down? And we would probably find a compromise on where that would lie and have fights about other things. Right. And but that's what it's about and i and i and i just keep going back to people really need to really figure out what it is that's important to them and and realize that you don't always get what you want you know in any relationship where haven't you had to compromise mm-hmm. you know is there it, 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 because that i think is the american right has become zero tolerance mm-hmm. on 
compromise. And it's so fascinating when they say things like, we won't budge. Yeah. And it's like, what part of your life... Do, I would hate to be married to you. <laughs> what part of your yeah. life do you... Is it, is it okay that you don't have to negotiate things? Mm. You have to negotiate at a four-way stop. Yes. You know, negotiation is ongoing and happening. Yeah. Why you feel that you can, as a legislator, like, I was sent here to do this. Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, you were sent here to legislate, which means compromise. And, like, they, they're synonymous with each other. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's, it's probably time for us to go to dinner. But I hope we'll speak again in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Really fun hanging out with you. You too. And uh, having our discussions. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I'll say for people who don't know, um, Liz has a book that came out earlier. Well, 2012 is over. But uh, just a few months ago. And that's Liz Free or Die. Liz Free or Die. It comes out in paperback um, May 7th. Yes. And it's on Kindle and it's on um, audio. Stone tablet. It's on stone tablet. It's tattooed on my ass. Yes. There's several ways of accessing it. Um, Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and you can find me on Facebook. And it's Liz with two Zs. That's the catch. Double Z. Okay. Thanks so much for taking it. Thanks. You can never know just what it's like. You lonesome heart. As we say goodbye, I give you the website, citizenreporter.org. We're also on Stitcher Radio, if you use that app. You can also subscribe in iTunes, all one word, Citizen Reporter. Or you can use my name, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time. Be sure and go to the website, donate, flatter, all that. See ya. Don't you know I'm still standing? Like a little kid. You thought this fool could never win. Never win. Now look at him, he coming back again. Back again. Got a taste for love in a simple way. Simple way. If you listen, baby, what I have to say. But you would know, you would know I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah. After all this time.